we're glad you're here today. Um, man, it's we get to finish up this series. We've been in it for a while now, but it's really been going from Genesis to Revelation. And so you can guess where we're at today. Um, if you're watching online on Facebook, I know the last few weeks, Facebook, like nationwide, has been having some, str- some trouble with live streams. So uh, you can go to live.mycornerstone.org if it starts buffering. And our website's usually uh, a better place to watch the service. Less distractions, better quality. You get to interact as well. So if you're watching online today, I, I invite you to do that. Uh, and you can join in the chat and let, just let us know where you're watching from. Um, I will mention today, for those watching online, we're going to end our service with a, a time for the Lord's Supper. So if you want to join in with us, we'll give you some time uh, to prepare and get ready for that. Uh, two quick announcements that I'll add uh, to what Caleb shared. Um, and one is we do have a Nicaragua mission trip planned. Uh, it's July 2nd through July 9th. Uh, the information's on our website, so if you want to sign up, if you sign up for it, it doesn't commit you to going. You just sign up, and we'll start sending you the information. We'll have some planning sessions. We'll have some, uh, we'll have some more information uh, to come as we plan it. Uh, we've been going there for, for, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years now. I don't know. It's a long time. We've been going to Nicaragua. Uh, got a great relationship with Because We Care Ministries there. So uh, if you're interested, you can find out the information online for that. And then secondly, if you're new here, uh, we have a Discover Lunch planned for March 27th. And so our Discover Lunch is a time for you uh, just to come find out a little bit more, little bit more information about the church, um, uh, to meet some of our leadership, to have lunch with us, and uh, we get to share a little bit about how you can get connected and get involved in Again, we ask you sign up for that. You can sign up on our website, on the Church Center app, uh, anywhere. You, you just uh, you'll find it on the Discover Lunch. So uh, next week we get to start a brand new sermon series called "How to Bless Your Neighbor," and I'm I'm excited about this, guys. So I want to invite you now to come back next week, and not only that, to bring somebody with you. Uh, if you've ever uh, been in a place where you're like, I just wish I could share my faith e- more easily. You know, I, I'm, I'm scared to do it. I don't know how to do it. Um, this is a series for you uh, because this is going to be a, a series about how anyone, and I mean anyone, can tell others about Jesus. Um, and so we want to invite you to, to come to that. Um, and not only are we starting the new sermon series next week, we are kicking off a brand new life group tomorrow night, Monday night, that's going to tie in with this sermon series. So uh, Jennifer and I are leading that group, um, and we meet at 630 tomorrow night at Center 242. Uh, we invite you to come out for that life group. It's going to be awesome. Um, and so uh, we've already got a good group signed up, and there's room for plenty more. So uh, if you're interested in that, let me know. You can sign up on our website. You can just show up, but we would love uh, to have you join us for that. Um, And so we get to finish up this series, though, today, Binge Reading the Bible. And I hope this has been helpful to you. It's been challenging to me as as a pastor because this is like, this is, to me, this is like one of the most important things we can talk about. Because I can stand up here and and bring a message each and every week, um, but an hour a week is not enough. It's not enough nourishment for the Christian life. If you ate one meal a week, that's not going to be enough, right, to, to get you through the week, uh, especially if you're a teenager, because I know they eat a lot. Um, but spiritually, we need more than one meal a week. And so what my goal is to get you into the Word, 
get you reading the Bible in a way that you can feed yourself, in a way that you can learn what it means to follow Jesus. And as we've said through this whole series, the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And that means from Genesis uh, through the story of the creation and, and then the fall when uh, Adam and Eve sinned and, and brought sin into the world and brokenness into the world. And then we see the rest of the Old Testament pointing forward to the Messiah that would come to rescue us from our sin and brokenness. And then, of course, the Gospels uh, tell the story of Jesus and, and how he came and why he came and, and how he went to the cross on our behalf to rescue us. And then the Bible doesn't stop there at the resurrection because then we get to see the start of the early church and, and how they learned to follow after Jesus. And then it ends with this future hope that God has not forgotten about. I said he's coming back again uh, to, uh, to, to set up the new Jerusalem to rule and reign forever and we'll be with him for all of eternity. And he's going to restore things to the way they were meant to be from the very beginning. That's the storyline of the Bible. So everything in the Bible either points to forward to Jesus, it tells the story of Jesus, or it looks forward to his return. And that's really, this whole series has been uh, about that. Now, today we get to wrap up the series by looking at one of the most confusing parts of the Bible, um, and it's about apocalyptic literature. And you're like, apocalyptic literature? Like, we don't go around talking about, hey, did you read the latest apocalyptic literature? I mean, that's just not, I mean, can we just be truthful here? That's not a word we use a lot. Um, and, and so I want to explain that to you today in a way that makes sense. I don't want to confuse you, uh, but I want to also give you hope, and I want to give you some tips about how you read some of this stuff, because it can get pretty crazy, right? But if we take the time to understand how God reveals himself, we can gain a new uh, perspective on his plan for us and all of humanity. So that's where we're going today. Here's the first point. I'm just going to jump right in today. And my first thing I want you to know I want you to know that you don't have to be afraid of reading the confusing books of the Bible. So many people I talk to is like, oh, you know, I, I like reading the Gospels or I like reading Paul's letters, but I don't like reading uh, the laws in the Old Testament. I don't like reading uh, the book of Revelation because it's just too confusing. And, and so, and, and Daniel and Ezekiel and all this stuff, all these symbols, and it's this weird stuff. And so I just skip over and keep going. I, I don't want you to be afraid of any book in the Bible because I think every book in the Bible has a message for us that we can learn from and that we can apply to our life. And so what we see is this apocalyptic literature. It's, we see these entire sections uh, in, in the Bible that describe these strange dreams and visions and, and how God reveals himself to us. And so it, it kind of, uh, the, the, the biblical word used to describe these uh, unveilings or these uncoverings is translated as apocalypse. And so that's where we get our word from. We kind of, uh, the, these passages get misunderstood though because in our culture today, when we use the word apocalypse, we're thinking about the destruction, the end of everything, like how, you know, the end of the world, and the world's going to end, everything's going to be destroyed. That's kind of how we use apocalypse. But in the Bible, that's not really what the word means, and we're going to get into that today. And so what we see, though, is God is revealing his plan 
to his people. And so we can see this apocalyptic um, literature in the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see it in the books of Daniel and Zechariah and Joel and Amos and Ezekiel. And the New Testament, we see 1 Thessalonians and Revelation and 2 Peter have glimpses of this where God kind of reveals, he kind of pulls back the veil and we get to see something supernatural. And so that's really what we want to talk about today. And so why is it so hard to read and understand? I read this on uh, a website this week. It said this. It said, certain popular views on the end times interpret the Bible from the latest news events in the Middle East. And I think we can get in trouble doing this sometimes. Now, can we tie in current events to what happens in end times? Yes. But we don't interpret the Bible in light of what's happening. We do it the other way around, if that makes sense. We read the Bible, then we look to the current events to see how they tie together. And it says here, when the predictions don't pan out, new ones are made without any apology for the previous errors. When these kinds of practices continue for decades, it's no wonder that people walk away and give up. The answer to this problem is not to stop reading books like Revelation. The answer is to start reading it differently. In fact, to start reading it the way it was intended to be read. So in 404 verses, Revelation contains over 500 allusions back to the Old Testament. There are more allusions to the Old Testament and Revelation than in all of the other books of the New Testament combined. And so to understand Revelation, we've got to read it with the Old Testament open. And I would say this is one of the, the biggest tips I could give you, right? Is if we, when we read the Bible, when we start making the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament, when we see uh, if you have a study Bible that has those cross-references, that helps so much when you read one passage to go back and see where it's pulling from. Because all of this interconnectedness, really, it's what makes the Bible unique. It's what brings it to life. And so I, I really believe we can read Revelation because it gives us uh, this, this message that God cares about us. He's not forgotten us. And no matter what we're going through, he's coming back again. And that's, that's the promise he gives us. And when we remember that Revelations was written to people who were undergoing extreme persecution at the hands of the Romans, and we see what happened in, in history in the first century with the, the many Christians being killed and martyred for their faith, they needed hope. They needed hope that God was still there. And that's what the book of Revelation uh, is all about. So when we get to this last book of the Bible it helps to remember that suffering they were going through. Let's just see how Revelation opens. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. This is a revelation, and that word right there, revelation, in the Greek is that apocalypse. It's that this is the apocalyptic story. This is the unveiling. This is the, uh, this is the, the message from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent a, an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. So this is why it's important that we don't skip over books like Revelation. 
This is important why we can read it and, and, and really dig in and spend the time to understand it. Because it tell, he tells us right, right here, he blesses those who listen to its message, and we need to obey what it says because the time is near. Now, let me just ask you this, and I, I don't, uh, you, you guys know I'm, I don't try to scare people all this, but when you look at the current world events taking place uh, in the Middle East, in Russia, and Ukraine, and all this, does it make you a little nervous that we could be nearing the end of time? Does that, does, that, does that cross your mind? And I don't say that to, to kind of freak you out, or, or, or I don't say that lightly, but when we look at current events, uh, it, it seems like uh, with the formation of the, the state of Israel, uh, and when we see all of that taking place, and then we see the conflict in the Middle East, and a lot of people are spending time right now in Ezekiel chapter 38 and talking about Gog and Magog and these end-time battles and uh, because of everything going on in Russia. And you look at all this taking place, and you're like, you know, we really could be getting close to Jesus coming back. And, and again, I... I he may come back tomorrow. He may come back a thousand years from now, but we need to be ready. And I feel like that's the message that Revelation is telling us is, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Because it could happen at any time. And so in this last book of the New Testament, we find this series of visions that God reveals to John. And so what John does is God kind of pulls back the veil and he gives John a glimpse of what's going to happen before Jesus comes back. He gives John a glimpse of what heaven is going to look like. And, and I can just, I mean, when I think about this, I can't imagine what John experienced because it was more uh, unbelievable. It was more uh, elaborate, more intricate than he could ever even imagine. And he's trying his best to put into words something that is indescribable. You think about that. I mean, there's no words to describe heaven because it's so far beyond what we could ever imagine. And yet, that's what John is doing here. Uh, I read this. It said, The revelation of Jesus Christ was given to John by God to show his servants what soon must take place. That's, that's the phrase in, in that first section. And so this book is filled with mysteries about things to come. It's the, the final warning that the world will surely end and judgment will be certain. It gives us a tiny glimpse of heaven and all the glories awaiting those who will keep their robes white. Revelation takes us through the great tribulation with all of its woes and the final fire that all unbelievers will face for eternity. And the book reiterates the fall of Satan and the doom that he and his angels are bound for. And so what we see is Revelation tells us about the final judgment, the mark of the beast, the, the 666, the battle of Armageddon, the great white throne judgment, the new Jerusalem, all this stuff that can get pretty crazy and pretty confusing. But it does it to give us hope. It does it to remind us that we need to be ready. So how do we read all of these visions and symbols and all this stuff? Uh, we've been going to the Bible Project for some videos throughout this series. I want to share another one with you today about how to read this. And this is kind of going to uh, kind of give you a little bit better understanding of this apocalyptic literature. So let's watch this together. It's the end of the world. The moon turns to blood. Mountains crumble. Mutant locusts swarm. 
These are just some of the strange images we find in parts of the Bible called apocalyptic. And while most people think the biblical word apocalypse means the end of the world, it actually doesn't mean that at all. So let's talk about how to read apocalyptic literature in the Bible. So wait, the apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world? No. Apocalypse is a Greek word that means to uncover or reveal. An apocalypse is when you suddenly see the true nature of something that you couldn't see before. Because I don't always see things the way they really are. Right. We all develop familiar ways of seeing the world that can limit or blur our vision. So an apocalypse is like a revelation. Right. Now, in the Bible, an apocalypse is when God pulls back the curtain to show someone what's really going on in the world from a divine perspective. For example, take Isaiah the prophet. He's suddenly transported in a vision into God's throne room. Oh, right. He's in God's temple, described as a bridge between heaven and earth. And there, God gives him a divine perspective on Israel's past, present, and their future. So that Isaiah can bring challenge and comfort to God's people in his own day. Or think about the Apostle Paul, who was trying to stop the movement of Jesus, but then he gets stopped in his tracks by a vision of the risen Jesus himself. Yeah, he realizes that he's fighting against the very thing that he's been hoping for, and it changes the course of his life. So these apocalypses give people a heavenly perspective on their earthly situation, and they can give hope, or they can challenge you. Or make you change everything. Now, those are biblical stories about people having an apocalypse. There are also whole sections of biblical books where a prophet describes extended apocalyptic dreams and visions. People call this apocalyptic literature. And reading these dreams and visions is difficult. I mean, they're filled with strange images. Like, let's take Daniel. He sees ferocious beasts coming up out of a dark sea, trampling people on the land. And then a character called the Son of Man is exalted to rule the world. What is going on? Yeah, apocalyptic literature is written in a poetic, imaginative style, and it's packed with symbolism. How can I know what these symbols mean? Well, first, by studying the rest of your Bible. Apocalyptic imagery is based on biblical design patterns that begin in the book of Genesis and then develop throughout the Bible. Like the chaotic sea in the first sentences of the Bible that God tames but doesn't eliminate as he orders creation. And so the sea becomes an image of danger, death, and cosmic chaos. Ah, and the dry land, which comes out of the sea, is the safe, ordered place where humans are supposed to rule as God's image. Yes, and also on the land are beasts that humans are supposed to oversee. But keep reading, and the humans are deceived by a beast. And start acting like violent beasts. Exactly. Now, sometimes a prophet will tell you what a symbol means. Like in Daniel, we're told those beasts symbolize violent human kingdoms. But more often, the authors just assume you know how to trace an image through the biblical story to understand its meaning. Now let's look at the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, because it's one really long vision. The whole thing is an apocalypse. Yeah, and it works the same way. It begins with John the visionary transported to God's throne room where he sees the risen Jesus as the exalted king of the world. But Jesus is depicted as a bloody lamb. Right. It's a design pattern showing how Jesus is the sacrificial lamb from Israel's Passover and from the Day of Atonement. He gave his life for the sins of the world. 
And then John sees the ultimate beastly dragon, that spiritual power that energizes violent earthly empires. It's cast out by Jesus, the world's true king. Yeah. Now that reminds me. When I read the Revelation, I'm struck by all this cosmic destruction and violence. I mean, it happens over and over and over. Yeah, in the Revelation, there are three seven-part cycles of God's judgment, and it's another design pattern that connects together the stories of the flood, the ten plagues on Egypt, and the exile to Babylon, and even more. These are moments when humans unleash so much violence and death into the world that God hands them over to self-destruction. It's like a reversal of creation in Genesis chapter 1, as God allows the world and humans to sink back into darkness and disorder. That's sobering. It is. But remember, in Genesis 1, God overcame darkness and chaos with his light and light. And so too in the Revelation. The death of Jesus and the death of the world as we know it is the pathway into the renewed creation that began with the resurrection of Jesus. And so while the Revelation feels like the end of the world. It's actually about the beginning of the renewed world where heaven and earth are reunited and God's human images rule all creation in the love and power of God. Okay, this is a lot to take in. It is. And there's a lot in these books that is still hard to understand, but the purpose of Apocalyptic is really clear. To give us a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances so that every generation of God's people can be challenged, comforted, and given hope for the future. Stuff. And I hope you've enjoyed some of these videos. There's tons more. If you go to the Bible Project website, on, on you can find them on YouTube, find them on Right Now Media. They're all over the place. But they really help us. And, and that kind of brings me right to my second point. Apocalyptic literature, then, is how God reveals the true nature of the world from a divine perspective. And so, again, I, I don't want us to be afraid of reading this. I want us to understand that no matter what we're going through, when we look to the Bible, it gives us hope. It gives us hope that Jesus is coming back again. And that's the message that we as a church, we keep proclaiming. We keep telling people, you need to be ready. You need to have a relationship with God so that when he comes back, you'll be able to spend eternity with him. Now, in a world today, that's not really a popular message to talk about heaven and hell. And if you don't choose Jesus, you're rejecting him. But that's the truth of this world that we live in. It is broken. And one day God is coming back to put everything back together to restore it to the way it was intended. And he wants us to be there with him. And it's our job, it's our mission as a church to tell as many people we can about that. We've already talked about how this word apocalypse is a word that means to uncover or to reveal. And so God is pulling back this curtain to show us the true nature of the world from a divine perspective. And so these, you know, these passages, they have all this symbolism and all this poetic language and and, and strange images. And as the video talked about, the, the key to understanding it is to look at it as a literary design that's introduced in the book of Genesis and that's carried out throughout the pages of Scripture. So I would say it this way, right? Um, I think sometimes we want to be able to read something the first time through and become an expert in it. Um, have any of you ever tried to uh, learn a foreign language? 
Do you learn it overnight? It takes some time. And the older you get, the harder it is to learn it because our brains just don't absorb like they used to. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and so, but it's interesting, as you study another language, um, you also, it's not just learning grammar and vocabulary. You actually have to understand a little bit of the culture to understand the words that you're reading because they say things differently. Their idioms are different. Their expressions, their, their way of saying things is different. So the more you study a foreign language, the more familiar you get with it, the more accustomed to it, the more you start understanding, and you actually start transporting yourself from into that new culture to understand it. I would say the same thing is true about the Bible. In a way, we're learning a new language. We're learning this heavenly perspective. And so the more time we spend in it, the more time we spend studying it, the better we get at recognizing those patterns, the better we get at understanding the culture and context and historical setting in which it was written, the more we start seeing how it ties together. And we're like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, that was talked about over here in Daniel, but it's also talked about here in Revelation. And these two things tie together. Uh, this 70 weeks in Daniel is also talking about, you know, you start getting into this and it's amazing the connections you make. But they don't come naturally, and they don't come easy. It takes time to study it. Just like learning a foreign language, just like taking a college class, you're not going to walk in the first day and understand everything in it. That's why you learn. That's why you study. And studying the Bible is a lifelong process. I wish I could tell you there's an amazing shortcut you could take. The shortcut is spending time with Jesus. That's the shortcut. It's just spending time over and over and over again and letting the Holy Spirit instruct you as you read the words of God that we have in the Bible. So, um, again, this is, this is, it can get confusing sometimes, but when we see an apocalypse, uh, when we see this unveiling, when we see someone exposed and God pulls back the veil, I love when that happens, when we start seeing things from a divine perspective. Let me give you an example from it, uh, from the Old Testament. In the book of Daniel chapter 2, uh, we have this, uh, this passage. And the background of this, King Nebuchadnezzar had just declared that all the wise men must be killed because no one can tell him the meaning of his dream. Daniel and his friends start praying to the Lord, and, and then God reveals the, the meaning of this dream, the dream and the meaning, to, to Daniel in a vision. And so in verse 16, it said, Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. And then Daniel went home and told to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever. For he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what you have asked of, uh, of you, what we asked of you, and you have revealed to us what the king demanded. 
And so what God did here, he revealed a secret to Daniel. There was no way Daniel could get this on his own. He required a supernatural intervention. And that's what God did. He revealed, he pulled back the curtains and said, this is the vision, this is the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, and now you get to tell him what it actually means. And so I love how Daniel just takes time when he revealed this, when he encountered the presence of God, what did he do? He thanked God. He thanked God. It took him to the place of gratefulness and thankfulness. He asked God to do something, and God did. And so, again, we see what happened here is apocalyptic literature is how God reveals the true nature of the world from a divine perspective. And what we see over and over and over again is that's what's happened. And if you know uh, the vision that, that Daniel interpreted, it was about the different kingdoms that would come and rule over uh, Babylon and what would happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it was not good news. This was not news that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to hear, but it was the news that it was the, the ability to interpret the vision that God gave Daniel. That was the unveiling. That was the, the part of this. So that's a, just one small example, and Scripture's full of them that we see. So how do we read this? I'm going to give you kind of four tips, and these are adapted from uh, a Zondervan uh, book I had, but these, these are four quick tips on how to... Uh, read and, and interpret the uh, apocalyptic literature. And I'll go through these really, really fast. But the, uh, the first is we need to pay attention to the symbolism. Pay attention to the symbolism. There's all these symbols, and, and we need to, to, to kind of spend time learning what the symbols are about. Where are those symbols used in other parts of the Scripture? And so uh, it brings out the emotion of what they're writing about when we see all these symbols. So, uh, you know, I, I'll put it this way. Do we have any movie fans out here? A few of y'all. Do y'all, any of y'all think that National Treasure is one of the great movie franchises in history? That Nicolas Cage is, is an amazing actor, right? Okay, maybe not that far. But those are cool movies, you got to admit, Right? Have you seen National Treasure? Yeah, okay. They're cool movies. Why? Because they're finding these symbols, these riddles, and they're piecing them together to find the treasure. I mean, that's the whole, uh, you know, and so uh, they're, they're going and, you know, it's kind of the high-paced, high uh, you know, interaction and, and chases and fight scenes and all this. And, and they're, you know, stealing the Declaration of Independence and reading the secret code on the back of that and then uh, getting Ben Franklin's glasses and using it to read this message over here. And it, it's kind of a crazy concept. But what they do is they know history and they're able to interpret the symbols and the riddles to piece it together and find the meaning. A lot of, when we pay attention to the symbolism in the Bible, I feel like it's a similar process. Maybe not the, the stealing and running from the police and getting shot at, but it's a similar process because what we're doing, we're piecing together all these clues. So we take this clue we find in Genesis, and we like, oh, but that ties in, and that's referring to what we find in Isaiah. And that means uh, this is talked about in the Gospels here, and then John is referring to it in, in Revelation. And we start putting all these pieces together so we can understand the symbolism that is used. And again, it, it's an exciting process, and I think so many people are scared to do this because they're like, ah, I just I could never do that. Again... 
we have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us. The same Holy Spirit that the disciples have is inside of you if you are a believer. And it is guiding you in all truth. It is instructing you. It is helping reveal God's knowledge and God's plan to you. And so you're not doing this on your own. If you say, I can't do it, what you're saying is the Holy Spirit can't do it in me. And so I want to challenge you a little bit there to pay attention to the symbolism. And I'm telling you, the, the symbols in the Bible, they're much more intricate than anything in national treasure. But it takes time to study them and, and to see where they come from. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we need to understand the cultural and the historical setting. Uh, again, we've got to find the meaning for the original audience. I think if we read it in light of current events and just say, okay, uh, this is, you know, uh, we get ourselves in trouble. We have to go back and what were they going through at the time? What did this mean to them? We have to understand the persecution that the Romans were subjecting them to. Um, and, and then that kind of helps us understand uh, what's happening. And so uh, the mark of the beast is a good example. Like I, I can tell you now, if you tell me the mark of the beast is a credit card or a microchip implanted, then you are not reading the Bible in the cultural and historical setting that it's meant to be interpreted by. And, and so, again, we've got to be careful. We have to understand what those things were and why they were mentioned and, and how that can be applied in the future. Um, and so it's understanding the, the, culture, the culture in the historical setting. So uh, that's the second thing. The third thing. I said pay attention to the symbols, but don't overanalyze the symbols. <laughs> um, I see people doing this a lot, and they like, get, have you ever heard the, this saying that you can't see the forest for the trees? Have you heard that saying? Um, that's kind of what happens sometimes. We focus so much on the symbols, we don't see the bigger meaning. And so I, I see people have written whole books about how to interpret things in Revelation. And they're like, the locust that stings, those are, uh, those are attack helicopters, right? And when you get sick but you can't die that it talks about in the Bible, that's radiation poisoning from the nuclear fallout. And they'll like piece together this elaborate symbol. Of, uh, and could that be the case? Possibly. Right? Because John is writing about stuff if he saw in a vision of war and technology and helicopters and nuclear weapons, he's not he's gonna describe it the best way he could from his first century perspective. Because he was writing to people in the first century. He's not writing to us like directly. He's writing for all of God's people, but he's, he's used, again, going back to the historical and cultural setting, he's writing it in words and images that, that, he, that they could understand. And so if we get so caught up in symbols and who the Antichrist is and, and where this and what this, and we try, okay, the, let's just say we can, we can get lost in the, in the, we can get lost there and miss the whole point. And, and the point is simply we need to be ready. We got to be ready. We need to be ready when Jesus comes back and all this stuff. It's just, again, it's the big theme. There's going to be a battle. and We know who wins in the end. We know how it's going to turn out, but we've got to be ready. And then fourth and finally, we need to discover the purpose. We need to look at it. And again, when you, uh, you think about the emotions and, and think about the symbols and we pull all of this together to see the purpose that He's trying to encourage us. 
He's trying to give us hope that no matter what you're going through, no matter how much suffering you're in, no matter how far removed you feel from God, that if you are a believer, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then he is there and he's coming back again. And that's hope. That's hope that we need to get us through any problem in life. And so I love, um, there's so many passages I could use. There's a passage in 2 Peter that gives me hope, right? And, and, and again, I think this is instruction for us as we read it. And he says, and Peter says this, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make, and he's talking about this whole passage before this, it's like how the earth's going to be burned up, everything on the surface laid bare, and before Jesus establishes the new, uh, the new kingdom here. And he says, while we're waiting for this, these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction. So what he's telling us here is, look, while we're waiting, we make every effort to be pure and blameless before God. And God is doing this because he gives people time to get saved. I hope you have an urgency about telling people about Jesus. Because the more you read apocalyptic literature, the more you realize how serious this mission is. The more you realize that when Jesus does come back, there, there's not a second chance. We, we live in a time of, of grace now where we can come to the Father. Our sins can be forgiven. We can be made right with God, justified by God, and adopted into his family. That's the message we are proclaiming to others right now. And so I'm just thankful for that, that we get a, a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And in Revelation 21, I, I love this passage. And if you've got time this week, read it. Read it, because uh, I'll, I'll just read the first few verses here. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And, uh, and, and I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha. I am the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will freely give from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all of these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And if you skip down to the very last verse in the chapter, nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonestly, and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So my question for you today 
We've talked about all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now we find ourselves at the end. And we know how the Bible ends, right? Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Uh, That's how it ends. I mean, it's like, Jesus, we need you. We're waiting on you to come back. If, If that's the case, then the most important choice, the most important position we find ourselves in is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you... Have have you put your faith and your trust in him to save you, to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I would be remiss to not just to, to take a moment and to challenge you. Examine your heart. Are you saved? Are you born again? Do you know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You are not saved because you go to church. You are not saved by being a good person. You are not saved because you signed a a, a paper. You are saved when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, and that's it. It's the free gift of God. It's the free gift of God. But you have to receive that gift. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. Uh, You know, Paul came face to face with Jesus and the veil was turned back and he had that miraculous encounter on the Damascus road. And we need to have that encounter where the veil is pulled back and we see Jesus for who he really is, the king of the universe. And so I'm going to pray right now. I want to give you a chance to do that. Uh, and then we're going to come back and, uh, and end with a time of response and uh, a time for the Lord's Supper. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Today, as we've wrapped up this series of digging into the Bible to learn more from it, to learn more about it, my prayer is that each and every one of us would not just know about the Bible and not just know how to read the Bible, but we would know the God of the Bible. That we would have a relationship with the God who created us. And we see the storyline of the Bible about how you created this world and then it was broken by sin and how Jesus came to rescue us from that sin and brokenness. But the way he rescues us is by faith. It means we need to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. So while every head is bowed today, I want to issue an invitation. I want to issue a challenge for each person here to examine their faith. And if you're watching online, this is for you as well. Would you be able to, to, to really examine your heart and say, I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I know he has saved me. I know I'm born again. If not, then right now is your opportunity. Would you just pray with me, Heavenly Father? I know I've sinned. I know I've disobeyed your word. And I need you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I I believe you are who you say you are. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I believe you came and lived the perfect life and you took my you took my pain you took my punishment you took my shame upon yourself and now I want to put my faith and trust in you to save me Lord I know you rose from the grave victorious over sin and I believe it so now will you help me live my life for you would you help me day in and day out choose to follow you would you help me to be ready to be pure and blameless in a world that's not always willing to follow you Lord, just save me right now. If that's your prayer, I want you to know Jesus heard it and he answered it. While every head is bowed, 
Um, I just want to ask, I don't do this often, but would you just write, raise up your hand if you prayed that prayer today? While no one's looking, just say, yes, Mike, I want you to know I prayed that prayer today. Anybody, anywhere, online, there's a place for you to, to check off and let us know as well. Anybody, anywhere. God still saves people today. This is the mission of the church that we tell as many people as we can about Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We honor you and we worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.